0: all right you guys uh good afternoon um i know that this is pretty weird having to stream from your devices i want you to know that um we as a church we miss you we care about you we are praying for you Uh, and so know that even if we're not in a physical gathering together we are still together worshiping the lord we are still connected um through our our love of jesus christ and also know that um The beauty of modern technology right we can always text and call and facetime with each other Uh, and so i'm just so thankful that we have that opportunity to uh, even worship here like this Uh, one other just one announcement i want to make uh, was that the service order as you can tell is a little bit different Uh, if you are streaming this uh, know that we have our service order all uh, online It's on our website shinystar.life and it will give you uh, on that site where it says sunday service that tab uh, it'll give you the service order it'll give you the discussion questions that pastor Jeannie talked about and it'll also give you some frequently asked questions as well Uh, if you have any other comments questions anything like that feel free to reach out to any of the staff we are available uh, and here for you as well Um, the and lastly Uh, Before I get into the sermon, I just want to say that um, as a church, we are, um, you know, praying for you guys, that we care about you guys, Uh, and I know that for a lot of us, uh, the coronavirus, um, it has affected a lot of people. Uh, I know that for a lot of you guys, you may be confused or afraid, and maybe even for some of you, you're just frustrated having to be at home, Uh, but know that together we are a community, know that together uh, we uh, believe in a God who is in control of all things, and that even with uh, this type of disease, even with this pandemic, that God is able to use those things for his good, right? And so that's what we believe, uh, and that's why we are continuing to not only endure, but to have joy, because we have an everlasting hope, right? Uh, So I just want to kind of encourage you that way. Uh, Now I'd like to go into scripture reading, If you have your Bibles, if you could open up to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. As you can see, we have it on the screen. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open up your Bibles. And when you have it, I know this may seem kind of strange, but to honor the reading of God's Word, uh, could you please stand uh, when when you have the verse? I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to read if you could follow along. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Sons and heirs, I mean that the heir, as long as he has a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. I pray that as we listen to this word, that it would um, speak to us individually. I pray that even. Uh, in my limited understanding, in my uh, mistaken uh, phrasing, or my, even my thoughts, Lord, that you would be able to, to speak perfectly. Uh, God, I pray that uh, you, you would penetrate the hearts of those who are listening right now, that you would speak to our congregation at Shining Star Community Church, and that we would really be open and obedient to what you have to say. And so we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, today's sermon is called, uh, No Longer Slaves, But Sons. You know, when I first became a a Christian, um, I had a very, I think, limited view of salvation. And what I mean by that is I had almost like a a negative or subtractive view. Um, I thought of Jesus simply as someone who took away my sins. I thought of God as someone who I was guilty and he took that off of me. I thought of God as someone who I was full of shame before, and and, and what salvation did was just take that off. But here's the thing, church. The Bible says that, yes, God takes those things away, but he gives you so much more. You see, salvation is not just simply taking away from those things. That's only half the story. What salvation is, is not only taking away, but he's putting on a whole new status. He's putting on a whole new sonship. And yes, he takes away guilt. He takes away sin. He takes away slavery, but he gives you status. He gives you sonship. He gives you an inheritance. And this is a thing that for me took so long to understand. I think for many Christians too. We have a hard time understanding this. You know we've been taught really well about this first part that God took away all of our sins that he has set us free that we no longer need to feel guilty or ashamed and yet what many of us struggle with is that second part that God didn't just take away your sins you see he has given you a new name that he hasn't just simply set you free to go off in the street he has set you free to give you a new home that he has taken you out of bondage so that you can be called his son and his daughter. And church, that's all I want to talk about today. I just have one main point, and it's this. Being a Christian means that you are no longer a slave, but you are adopted as a son. That's it. Just one small caveat before I continue In this sermon and and in this passage, we hear Paul and you're going to hear myself saying son and sonship a lot. And I know that especially uh, in today's culture, you know, we're going to hear that uh, and some of us can be like, "Hmm, Pastor Danny... Mm, I don't think so not not in my modern culture not not where I'm from that that's not kind of what I want to hear you know I'm more gender neutral I'm more you know I don't think that's what Paul is trying to say that's archaic that's anachronistic that's whatever and yet what I want to say to that is that church there's a danger um, in trying to make things completely gender neutral in that way because there was a specific reason why Paul says sons here and the reason why was because back then you see Paul understood and he knew that daughters weren't allowed to inherit property only the sons could that no matter how faithful or how good the daughters were the sons were the ones who took over the inheritance from their father therefore to be a son meant that you were the legal heir to everything your father had And in the Bible, it says that we are all sons of God in Christ. We are all heirs to what our Father has. And when we try to change that, it takes away from what Paul is trying to emphasize here. He's not emphasizing gender. He's not trying to emphasize a son and a daughter. He's saying that you are heirs to what all that God has promised you. You are heirs to all that God has given you. And you simply have to take it. You see, you are sons of the Most High God. That's what he's saying. So this is the main point, church, that we are not slaves, but we have been adopted as sons. And what we're going to do is look at this sentence in three parts. What does it mean to be a slave? That's number one. And number two, what does it mean to be adopted as a son? And lastly, how do we live this out? First, what does it mean to be a slave? What is Paul even talking about here, to be enslaved? Verse 8 and 9, it says this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul is saying here, that before we knew God, we were enslaved to the things of this world. We were enslaved to the things that were not God. And in verse nine, Paul says, he said, it's this is really strange phrase. He says, How can we turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? Now, what is he talking about? This is a difficult phrase in the Bible. When you look at different translations in the English, they, the, these people, everyone, they do different, all these different wordings and, and all these different things. But when you really distill it down in the Greek, what Paul is saying is how can we turn back to the gods of the universe and the elements? That's all he's saying. Because you see, church, back then, people believed that every single element and every part of the universe was a God. This meant that behind every element, earth, wind, fire, and water, behind all of the things of the universe, the stars, the moon, the sky, behind agriculture, behind money, behind alcohol, behind everything, there was a God. And because there was a God of anything, you could sacrifice to everything. That's why you had farmers who would sacrifice to the God of the land that's why you would have sailors who would sacrifice to the god of the water and that's why you would have merchants who would worship and sacrifice to the god of commerce and church paul is touching upon one of the most important principles of the bible and when i fully learned this and when i really encompassed this within my heart it changed my life it's that He's doing this this very simple principle that either you are worshiping God or you are worshiping something else. There's no sideline worshipers. He's saying that anything can be your God. He's saying that whether that's your relationship He's saying whether that's money, he's saying whether that's getting married, he says whether that's having a lot of friends, all of those things can be worshipped, can be sacrificed to, can be your God. Church, no one is an unbeliever. No one is an atheist, and no one is irreligious. You either believe in God and you worship him, or you are a slave and worshipping something else. It's either or. And when I learned this principle, it just, it radically changed the way I thought about life. Because I think for so many of us, we think that the reason we are not worshiping the Lord is a matter of motivation or desire. And that's not the case. Because I, at the same time, when I learned this, I read this book called Immunity to Change. And this book is a non-Christian book. It's written by non-Christian professors. And what they were emphasizing and what they were studying is why people don't change. They looked at this study. And they said they looked at a study where doctors said um, to their heart patients that if you don't change your habits, that you are going to die. And the study said that after hearing this, only one in seven patients actually changed their habits. And so the authors they had to they were wondering what happened, like why why was this such a big deal for people to change? And they said the reason why people don't change, even if it's a matter of life and death is not due to motivation or desire because all of those patients wanted to live, of course. They said the reason people wouldn't change is because they had a different priority in their hearts. They call their competing commitment. They found out that the heart patients they wanted to live, yes, but for many of them, their addiction to smoking was more important than the thought of them dying later. Church, do you realize that these professors were simply discovering what Paul was saying all along? That the reason we are not worshiping God is not because we don't want to. If you're a Christian, of course, of course we desire to worship God. Of course we desire to give our lives to him. Of course we want to sacrifice to him. It's because there's something else in our hearts that's more important than him. Paul is saying here, that there is another priority in our hearts that we are worshiping too this is what it means to be a slave and Paul says that everything in this world can enslave us don't be fooled into thinking that idolatry can only be one thing don't be fooled into thinking that idolatry when you hear that word can only mean addictions and, and really bad things Paul never says that. And very rarely are idols bad things. More often than not, idols are good things that we turn best. In church, I'm not talking simply to non-Christians. And Paul isn't isn't talking to non-Christians here. He's talking to the churches in Galatia. He's talking to Christians. And yet Paul, he's saying, why are you turning back? into slavery. You have seen how good God is. You have seen and tasted how good God has been in your life. You know the freedom that's within that. So why are you putting a different God within your heart? You know that's not going to sustain you. Look, as fallen people, we are going to fail very often in keeping God first. But I believe that Paul is writing this to make sure that we understand this important principle. It's not going to be a matter of your desire or your motivation. If God isn't first in your life, it's because something else is. No one is apathetic in their worship. We are all passionate about something. It just depends on what it is. And you know, the Bible, it makes very clear that the priority, that this priority, whatever it is, is the root cause of why we are struggling in our faith. Is not because of what we desire to do, it's because something else in our hearts is taking God's rightful place. But church, those things that once had so much control over us, Paul is saying, is no longer in control anymore. Those things that bound us and enslaved us are no longer impossible to defeat. Why? Because it says in verse 6, because you are sons. You are sons. You have been given a hope that trumps despair. And you have been given purpose much bigger than this world. Church, you are sons of God. Now, the question is now, what does it mean to be a son? Verse four and five, it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What is he talking about when he says adoption as sons. We're going to have to understand something that adoption back then was radically different than adoption is now. Because when we think of modern adoption, we think as the adoption of children, right? This can be children from mothers who aren't able to raise their own children, or it can be children from orphanages. And, and many times, um, you know, we think of adoption as uh, a baby who was just born and, and they come into our lives, or orphans who are very young and they come into our lives. That's 99% of, of cases. I, I honestly have never seen in my life a, a regular dude just getting adopted by a person, right? I, I've never seen that before. But in ancient Rome, they didn't adopt children. You see, the, the, they adopted male adults. Wealthy older couples, even if they had sons already, sometimes would adopt an adult male in their 20s or 30s. The vast majority of the case, the adult male would be around that age group. The adult male would usually come from a poor family and be adopted into a very wealthy one. Now, the reason why older couples without a son would adopt is pretty obvious. is because they needed someone to take over their inheritance. But many times a father would decide that his son wasn't suited as the heir to the family and therefore he would adopt another son. And that's why he would wait for that adult male to be in their 20s or 30s because he would calculate and he would say, okay, is this, is this guy, is this a leader? Is this potential son someone that I can trust in? Is this potential son someone that I can really lean upon and, and will be wise in taking care of my inheritance? Adoption was considered a huge honor by the wealthy family, and it was considered a huge honor by the poor family as well. In fact, it was so well-respected that nine of the Caesars who ruled ancient Rome were adopted. Julius Caesar adopted Augustus, and Augustus adopted Tiberius. Now, back then, there were four results of being adopted. First is that you had a new father. Second is that you became the heir to his estate. Third is that all the the adopted son's previous debts, all of his responsibilities, all of the things that were holding him back were completely and absolutely wiped out. That was the law. If he owed anything to anyone... If he owed anything to anyone, anywhere, it was completely and absolutely gone. And fourth, the son would be purchased at an extremely high price. Now here's one other thing that was interesting. In the law it states this, and I quote, A man cannot disown an adopted son. So once you were adopted, it was permanent. And here's the crazy thing. This means that the adopted son was more secure in his inheritance than a son born to that family. A born son could be disowned, he could be sold, he could be sent out for adoption, and yet the adopted adopted son, once he was adopted, it was completely and absolutely permanent. It was yours. And church, this is what Paul is talking about. And this is how the Galatians would have understood adoption. This is, a, this is divine adoption. This is a doctrine of adoption for you and for me. That when God adopted us, we were purchased at a high cost. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, You were bought with a price, the highest price, that God so very loved you that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And it says in 1 Corinthians that because you were bought with a price, you can now give your entire being, your entire life, your entire body to him. The adopted sons knew the cost of what their their father did. And they understood what they were going to be given. They understood the past of all the things that their father had to do to get him. And yet at the same time, they understood that there is a huge hope, that there is a huge inheritance just waiting for them. And so they were living in the in-between. And they were living in gratitude of what had happened. And they were living in expectation of what is to come. And that is the same idea for you today, that you are an adopted son because you can be thankful of all that God has done for you. And yet at the same time, you can be in great expectation for all that God is going to do in your life and the inheritance that you are going to receive as well. Church, you are an adopted son of God. This is our story. But I know that the problem for for many of us is that maybe this just doesn't sink in. It's more comfortable to believe that things have been taken off than to really fully believe that we are sons of the Most High God you know the parable of the prodigal son is is so famous and yet for many of us we don't really understand or have looked into one of the main lessons that this parable teaches us because one of the main lessons that jesus talks about that he's underlining here in the parable of the prodigal son is that the reality of the father's love is one of the last things in this entire world that we come to fully realize. You know the prodigal son was so intent on his wrongdoings. He looked only on his past failures. He looked only upon his present guilt and because of that he could not believe that his father could ever love him and that's why when he goes to his father he says I am not worthy to serve here. I am not worthy to be your son so please if it is possible let me just be like one of your hired servants. church, Charles Spurgeon, he actually writes about this sermon, or he writes about this passage here, and he does a sermon just on four words within Luke 15. And those four words are, the father kissed him. The son didn't believe that he deserved anything, and yet the father prepared the fattened calf. The son wanted to work as a servant, and yet the father had the ring and the robe ready. The son, he didn't want or didn't understand how much his father loved him. And yet when he was far off down the road, the father sees him, runs out, embraces him, and the father kissed him. This understanding of, a, of divine adoption, it will define your life, church. But it can't just be head knowledge. It has to be from your heart. Do you really, truly believe this? Look, we were on the road We were thinking of excuses, we're thinking about our own sin, we're thinking about our own lives, and yet in the distance he sees us, he runs to us, and he kisses us. This is the gospel, that we are no longer slaves, but we are adopted as sons of God. And now, lastly, how do we live this out? Verse 6 says this, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. One of the most important things that you can do as you wrestle with this thinking, as you try to understand more that you are his son, that you can live in this way, that you are no longer slaves, is to simply pray. And I'm not trying just to say it whatever i'm trying to say is because paul emphasizes it here so clearly he says to cry out to him abba father and i think for a lot of us we can say that we pray and yet as terrible as things are in this world when was the last time we really cried out to our father fully believing that he is ours and we are his church, what I'd like for you to do is to pray for the coronavirus. Absolutely. Pray that it would be completely and absolutely wiped out. That it would not last months like many people predict. But that from this moment onwards, it would be completely gone. Be vulnerable in your prayers to the Lord. Pray big things. Pray for your sickness that God would heal you from the very top of your head to the very bottom of your toes, that whatever you are going through right now, that whatever treatment that you are going through, that it would completely and absolutely eradicate everything that is going wrong there, and that you will be 110% healthy. Pray for your heart, that God would be so full in your life that you would have no space for any idols church this word Abba is a really casual term it translates to daddy or Appa and this is the relationship that God wants with his children he wants you to pray big prayers and to pray vulnerably because he's your dad and you're his kid And what parent wouldn't want their child to rush up to them and ask the world of them? Don't you think that he would love to hear you ask him anything? You know, they say that when you adopt a child, it takes them a while for them to instinctually think of being your child. Um... A lot of times they, at first they have to kind of remind themselves and it becomes difficult at first for them to really feel that in their gut that you are their father or, or their mother and that they are your children. You know, there's a story of a missionary couple that adopts a little girl and, and they pour themselves into her. But for some reason they're just never able to lead her to that point where she looks at her father and says, Daddy. She's never able to say that word. But one day, as the father was working, his daughter goes up to his desk holding her shoe and says, Daddy, my shoelace is broken. He said at that moment, if he could, he would have bought an entire shoe factory for her. Church, God is waiting for you to call him Abba Father. It is your privilege. It is your right. It is your inheritance as sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He has set you free. You are not homeless. You have a home. He has set you free. You are not wandering. You have a father. He has set you free. You have a family. So go before him. Lay out your prayers. Pray big things, be vulnerable to him, and he will listen. Let's pray.